Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Christ and Coffee podcast, bringing the church together one coffee hour conversation at a time. Today, we have Zavin Hanjan, who is the executive director and CEO of the Armenian Missionary Association of America. It's also known as the AMAA. Uh, Zavin is originally from the Middle East. He moved to Los Angeles in 1979, where he started a successful real estate company. Zavin has always been helping charitable organizations and is now leading the AMAA. So Zavin, so good to have you on the program and good to have this opportunity to talk and hear about the great things that AMAA is doing right now in the world. So welcome. Hi, thank you very much for initiating this talk. <clears throat> How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, uh, of course, uh, travel takes a toll uh, uh, and the I guess uh, the current affairs uh, in the nation, in the world, in the Armenian community, and all that, of course, adds on. Uh, but we're ready. We're there to serve. And God gives us the strength. Uh, we praise God for that. Uh, and we continue on uh, doing what is expected. <laughs> That's great. Um, for those who may not know, what is the AMAA? If you could explain it to them. The best way to describe the MAA is that it is the missionary arm of the Armenian Evangelical Church. So it's it's kind of a, a child of the Armenian Evangelical Church, Armenian Evangelical Movement. Uh, it was founded after the genocide, very reasonably and logically, as a consequence of the genocide and uh, uh, and, and the realization of the church in America at the time of the burden uh, that they uh, needed and had to carry on uh, to um, get to the orphans and, and widows uh, in the deserts of the Syria, of the Syrian deserts actually, uh, and, and reach out to them and, and help them. So that's how it started on June 8, 1918 in Worcester, Massachusetts, after uh, being uh, well planned for two consecutive years by a committee organized by the uh, Union of the Churches of the Armenian Evangelical Church, uh, Armenian Evangelical Church in the Eastern United States at the time. So it was uh, the, the child of the church with the burden of reaching out to their kin, especially right after the genocide uh, in, in the Near East. Uh, as uh, Armenians moved, of course, the survivors moved out of historic Armenia. Our churches were in ruins. Our people were in ruin. Uh, and uh, the, the mastermind uh, of, of the, the elite who, who thought about that are really ingenious, I would say, uh, because what the AMA does today reflects back on 102 years ago and the vision that these people had, uh, and uh, we owe it to them. Yeah, it's, it's been amazing the 102 years how the organization has grown um, in multiple countries. And you just traveled to Armenia, Syria, and Lebanon. I mean, it's been quite the year for the Armenian diaspora. You had, you had the war in Artsakh last year. You have the economic crisis and the explosion in Lebanon, and then recovery post civil war in Syria. And uh, these are three locations where AMEA is heavily involved with various charitable relief efforts. Um, I know that's a lot to discuss because it's it's so 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 many problems, but it's it's always important to know that um, there's people doing good work in the midst of difficult circumstances. So how how was the trip overall? And um, I, I know we talked about it, and it was quite amazing. Uh, to hear all the things that were going on. out a few a few important uh, dates, let's say, on the timeline of the Armenian uh, Armenian Missionary Association of America's 102-year history. Uh, you know, it certainly started uh, slow. There was uh, an a, a partnership at the time at the beginning uh, with the American Board uh, of Missionaries. <clears throat> they even had a joint, uh, joint executive council uh, to um, together 
to reach out to the um, orphans and, and martyrs, excuse me, orphans and widows and, and the remnants of the survivors of the Armenian genocide as we spoke. Uh, and then uh, the AMA went along on its own and one of the um, heroes, one of the giants of, of the leaders of the AMA that should be remembered is Reverend uh, Arakel Bedikian, A.A. Bedikian, uh, who was also a pastor of the Armenian Evangelical Church of New York for many years. Uh, and I guess the longest serving executive secretary at the time of the AMA. Uh, then came, um, this was until uh, late 1940s or mid 1940s. Then came Puzant Kalfayan from the Near East uh, to take the helm of the AMAA in the early 50s. Uh, and and uh, he too uh, was a cornerstone in the history of the AMAA. Uh, AMAA took a different dire direction, I would say, uh, at his time when Stefan Piribosian uh, went on a mission to the Near East and physically said, you know, Vini uh, Vidi Vici, I came, I saw, now I need to conquer. When you saw the, the situation that uh, our people were living in, our educational establishment, uh, our churches and, and the communities, <clears throat> life standards, uh, he came back and established the first endowment fund with the AMA in the early 1950s. I think it was around $100,000. And that has grown, uh, uh, as you know, into uh, a very hefty uh, arsenal, let's say, or, or, a, uh, or a pot of, of investment portfolio, which funds 50% of AMA's budget today. Uh, so these are kind of uh, landmark times uh, uh, and, and individuals in the history of the AMA. And the last one that I'd like to mention after the 1988 earthquake, of course, Reverend uh, uh, Jambazian, Moses Jambazian, who was uh, uh, on the helm of the AMA at the right time, uh, the right person at the right time, when we entered Armenia after the earthquake, uh, first of all, to take care of the uh, the new orphans, orphans of Spidak and uh, uh, and Gumri at the time, uh, establishing the orphan and child care committee, uh, which uh, actually started before Armenia was registered in uh, the AMA was before the AMA was registered in Armenia, and it carried on uh, uh, after it registered in 1991 after independence. Uh, that is one of the signature uh, programs and services of the AMA, which continues until today. Uh, and so the AMA grew over this time. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it is today, of course, uh, at the peak of its, uh, of its uh, budget in terms of spending budget on, on services and programs uh, all over the world in 24 countries, the lion's share being in Armenia itself, uh, and uh, second comes the Near East. Uh, and uh, so that, that again is a, a small picture of the 102 years. Now let me go where, of course, uh, the, um, the focus uh, and the epicenter of our people are, which is Armenia and Artsakh, and then Syria and Lebanon, and the trip that I had in May and June. Uh, it was a landmark trip because of the fact that uh, none of us moved uh, for a year and a half. Uh, and and yeah, so I, I remember right before the pandemic, we did a, a road trip to Fresno together. That was quite historic. And then the, the right when we got back, it was officially a pandemic. Uh, Absolutely. In fact, that was the last, I guess, event board meeting that we had in Glendale, California was the last person to person next to each other. And we didn't know that. Uh, the COVID was, was around us. Uh, uh, and, and of course, the Fresno uh, AMA Sunday that we did together. Uh, so Armenia was on our mind and Syria certainly had been on my mind for a long, long time uh, as a result of the 10 year almost war and devastation in the country. So when we, uh, when we uh, uh, reached in 
uh, Armenian landed at Svatnot airport. I'd never seen both the airport and the hotel uh, and, and the um, Republic Square in the manner that we witnessed in, in May 2021. Uh, it definitely reminded us of the war, reminded us of COVID-19, and reminded us that we are living in a different time, in a different, different circumstances. Uh, and the places were dark, streets were um, empty, including the airport. Uh, we had the fastest uh, get through uh, customs uh, at the airport because there were no other uh, arrivals, planes or other um, people in there. Uh, it was bleak and, and uh, painful. Uh, I would say that certainly was the result of both the war and, and uh, COVID, uh, but I should immediately admit that it changed very fast. Uh, we arrived in, in Yerevan on May 18th. By May 31st, when I left Yerevan to Beirut, things had changed a lot be it uh, at the airport, be it at the hotel, and be it at, at Republic Square. As if uh, everybody was waiting for a turnaround and it came with, with uh, spring, uh, mid-spring, let's say, uh, and uh, uh, the crowds were on, on, um, um, on, on, on that street, Isayim uh, Bogoda, the northern, uh, um, Avenue, uh, shopping center, uh, and all these areas were, were suddenly um, jammed with, with people. It, it was a bad start, but we left with a good spirit that life was on the verge of returning to Armenia. Not only life, but tourists were on the verge. And Armenians, I wouldn't call everybody tourists because many of them had other uh, uh, good natured uh, reasons to be back to Armenia, uh, to help, assist, uh, lend a hand, reach out, and many other tourists as well. So it was uh, a, a good uh, experience on the, by the time we, we left Yerevan. And uh, most of the earlier situation, of course, was uh, the lingering effects of, the, uh, of a war, lost territories, lost and, and a loss of uh, many thousands of our young men uh, who were martyred defending their land, heroically defending uh, uh, Armenia and defending uh, the homeland. Uh, so uh, that certainly feeling, of course, still lingers in Armenia with some of uh, the people. Uh, but uh, I believe in a change. I definitely believe that we have to overcome that. Uh, we certainly bow to our heroes uh, and we have to move forward. There is a lot that needs to be done both in uh, Armenia and the Artsakh that is still surviving, the Republic of Artsakh that is still surviving uh, in, in, in the borders. Uh, the new borders, let's say. So, so when you were in Armenia, you also made the trip to Artsakh. How was, how was that experience, visiting the, the war-torn area, the, the, the new borders, the, the Russian... Do you run into Russian peacekeepers? Not often. Uh, it was a mixed experience when we uh, passed through that nice, beautiful, big sign that has given joy to every Armenian entering uh, Artsakh, where it says, welcome to Artsakh. You're you know, entering Artsakh now. Uh, we stopped there and uh, um, we certainly had in our mind uh, the things that had changed in Artsakh. There were seven checkpoints between Goris and Stepanagert, two of them um, meant by Armenians, the first and the last, and maybe five or six meant by Russians, Russian checkpoints. At every gym, they were very uh, respectful, courteous. They asked for passports, uh, and we all had Armenian passports and had easy, smooth access uh, to, uh, to Stepanagir. The pain was when we got close to the uh, two main um, 
highways that, that took us the, to, to Kyushu and, and the uh, entrance on, on both sides of uh, on, on the Gori Stepanagert Highway, there are two roads that lead to Shushi itself. Those places, in addition to the Russians who were who had checkpoints on their, <clears throat> at the, the starts of the road leading to Shushi, there were Azeri checkpoints. Those were very hard to see uh, and and uh, digest. We know that uh, uh, you know a, a city that we. Uh, lost and, and the population is now refugees uh, was on our mind uh, looking at this uh, uh, kind of Odar armies uh, who not only caused the population to uh, leave uh, Shushi uh, but also it reminded us of our uh, services and and pre of our I mean AMA's presence in Shushi uh, where we had the <clears throat> Bedrosian camp, huge camp, the only uh, youth camp in Artsakh, uh, and also the Bilezikian kindergarten, uh, and uh, also a, a shock center. We left behind those, uh, um, all those physical grounds, uh, but of course, uh, the physical grounds uh, come second to our uh, loss of the um, loss of the services and the mission uh, over there. Right, right, Stepan but Stepanaget did not um, welcome us the way we were we felt in Yerevan uh, on May 18. Stepanaget was a bustling city. There was tra traffic jam there. Uh, the streets were jammed with people walking. Cars were causing, as I said. Even for the first time, I met traffic jam in Stepanagir. And there was an overall feeling expressed by people and the leadership uh, of the Artsakh Republic that there was a feeling of safety. Now that the war was over and the Russian peacekeepers were there and they were everywhere, everywhere we were on the roads in, in Artsakh, we met Russian um, soldiers, Russian uh, trucks, Russian armory, uh, armed vehicles, Russian bases, and so on. Uh, that gave a feeling of, of safety, both to the people of Artsakh and us as well, together with them. Uh, there was a lot more to focus on and take care of other than the borders at that time. And that's what we did, and that's what the government intended to do and was doing and, and that's why they felt uh, the, the, the safety give them some kinds of, of comfort. Now going back to November 2020, I would say during the war, AMA never vacated Artsakh. Even though most of the population vacated Artsakh, but we were there, our representatives were in Stepanagert, they were in the Abris, they were in the uh, underground shelters with the people who were still in Stepanagert continuously, thanks to the heroic efforts of Viktor Garabedian, we kept our presence over there. We were also at the Shushi Bedrosian camp uh, a week before the city fell. So the government was moving uh, the, the population from Artsakh to the safety of Armenia and continuously groups of uh, the population were stationed at the Bedrosian camp overnight for a couple of nights and so on. And then organ in an organized manner, moving them to Armenia. So our activity, we were totally active during the, the war. Uh, our Victor, uh, during the day, he was around <clears throat> gathering uh, important and, and sustenance uh, goods um, during the day and in the evening, uh, sharing those with those in the shelters everywhere in Stepanagert, being with them, uh, spending the night with them and delivering food, water, uh, or all the uh, necessary uh, items uh, that was needed at the time. Then 
as soon as the um, the war ended, uh, let's say, and and, uh, and um, ceasefire was announced on November 9th, our first task was immediately to focus on our complete and full return of our services uh, and programs to Artsakh without delay. Our immediate focus on mind was that these people, the people of Artsakh need to return. We have to populate Artsakh. Without its population, the land means nothing to us, uh, nor to our kin uh, over there. Our population wanted to get back. And so we mm, took the necessary steps of sending people from Yerevan to renovate our offices and our campuses uh, and our uh, facilities uh, in all of Artsakh, uh, in Stepanagerd, in, uh, uh, in uh, Askeran and in Mardagerd. Uh, and it took us a few weeks to prepare that. And on December 1st, we opened our kindergartens in these three cities, full force. 95% of our personnel, of our staff, of our employees were back on location in all these three cities. Not only that, but most of our staff in Shushi, uh, whether they were uh, at the Bedrosian camp or in the kindergarten or Shoch center, were on duty in Stepanagert uh, to welcome the, again the, the uh, refugees from Shushi and the children who were at, the, at our school uh, at the kindergarten in Shushi. And most returns returned. And, and that uh, return started, it was the, the, the uh, I think um, the motion was successful. Uh, and within a few weeks, I would say, uh, you could feel that the, the population uh, was looking forward to get back to their homes. Uh, and over a few months, of course, most of the population returned to Artsakh. Our mission uh, was 100% active. Uh, our uh, schools were back full of the children, um, laughing, running, uh, and, and, and enrolling in, in our programs and services. Uh, and it, it, gave, it gave us uh, a, a feeling of comfort, joy, and satisfaction, not to take care of what we had, but immediately to start thinking about what can we do next. Right, right. And I know new sort of uh, soup kitchens emerged and recentering, uh, reallotting re the resources uh, took place. Um, I know if we go through all the details of it, we, we'd, we'd be here all day, but we'd provide links in the description to, to see the specific task of how the AMA works with relief, with school, with missions. Um, uh, I'm a board member of the AMA. It's a huge privilege to be part of this organization, seeing behind the scenes how much relief work we do in various parts of the world, educational work, uh, church work in, in, the, in the various locations, including Artsakh and Armenia. So if, if anyone's listening and wants to learn more, we're going to provide the link. It's ama.org. And if there's a specific thing you want to help with, you could donate uh, or learn about it, it via the website and you could also reach out and <laughs> I would love to talk to you more and to talk to you more about the various things that Amy is doing and especially in Artsakh. So uh, you returned from Artsakh, Armenia, and then you headed over to uh, Syria? One, one of the many initiatives that we started post-war in Artsakh, I'd like to highlight that uh, and uh, uh, maybe appeal also to all those who are listening and if, if, if they want to be involved. And uh, it's, it, it was, it's called Empower an Artsakh Family. Now, we know that many hundreds and thousands of Artsakh families were, uh, were out of their homes, historic homes, uh, whether they were in Armenia or in other areas in Artsakh. And so we started this program called Empower an Artsakh Family. Uh, to sponsor a family for two years uh, at $2,400 a year. Uh, and so this, this, this funds this, uh, were given to the family 
and we asked them to, to start some kind of a self-sustaining business with that, self-sustaining uh, uh, activity, anything that they thought of. And some of them did, for, for example, uh, uh, there were uh, families who involved uh, uh, in, uh, uh, in uh, dairy production, there were families involved in uh, honey production, uh, with this money and uh, uh, the program was very well um, welcomed uh, by our supporters. Uh, I think we have supported 40 families, 40 Artsakh families with this sponsor a family campaign. And this is an ongoing thing. This is a two year program as the families stand on their feet and feel a little independent, we will not continue it, of course, but if the need is there, we will continue. So that, that's amazing because uh, oftentimes you think, all right, you just give the person a fish, but here in this program, you're teaching them how to fish, how to self-sustain, and it creates growth across the board and the community at large. So this is great to hear. It's in power in Artsakh family. It's, it's one of the initiatives. Amazing. So on uh, May 31st, uh, we flew to Beirut. Uh, and. Uh, we spent two weeks in Lebanon and Syria. Uh, in the middle of the two weeks, we spent one week in, in Aleppo. Now, uh, of course, Lebanon, which is currently uh, the, the center of our, the Achilles heel of, uh, of Armenians. The Syria was 10 years ago, Artsakh certainly had its share in 2020 and in the, in the 90s. Uh, but but today uh, Lebanon is the Achilles' heel of our, our community, especially over there. Uh, there's a lot of pain in Lebanon. In the past, I would say we're getting close to two years now. In October, it will be two years that the the multi-crisis, multi-level and multi-faceted crises started in Lebanon. Uh, with the banking crisis, uh, and then uh, followed up uh, by the freezing uh, bank accounts of of uh, the Lebanese nationals in their uh, in, in in the banks, whether it's in in U.S. dollars or Lebanese pounds, and the devaluation of the Lebanese pound, which continued on uh, over the two years and has. Uh, probably Lebanese Pound has lost over 80% of its value. Uh, this, of course, uh, led to um, bankruptcies, uh, layoffs, um, people uh, lost their jobs, lost their income. Uh, the socioeconomic conditions um, deteriorated. Uh, and, and this is something that uh, you feel when you're in Beirut, we felt it, we touched it, we felt it when we were there. Uh, the gasoline crisis was one of the latest one. We saw, uh, it, you know, I would say hundreds of meters in lengths of cars waiting uh, to be fueled and in fuel stations. Uh, Things have gone even worse after we left there um, with, uh, with, the, uh, with the lack of existing fuel for generators. See, the country doesn't have much running electricity, which is provided by the government. So what happens is that and this is a phenomenon in Syria and Lebanon. There are uh, private generators that give power, generate power in different sectors of the country, institutions, business organizations, uh, schools, educational uh, entities, uh, and residential uh, areas get their powers through generators. These generators, of course, are uh, being uh, fueled by a special fuel which was available on the market. So the last stage of the deterioration that happened uh, recently is that that fuel was not available in the markets. Wow. And so uh, 
people started running out of uh, power and electricity. And when you lose power, imagine you lose uh, your freezing ability, your refriger refrigerators uh, will uh, melt. Uh, even people even had difficulty in, uh, in, uh, in using their phones because they were unable to charge their, their cell phones. And cell phones are absolute necessity now for life over there. So life has come to a standstill and it's, it's still going to, you know, from bad to worse on a continuous basis as there's no government there for at least a year now. Uh, and, and all attempts so far have failed. Uh, and, and the longer there's no new government, which means there's no political coherence, political um, um, uh, revival, uh, then uh, there is no economic or social revival uh, and, and people want to uh, immigrate. Um, there's an exodus, especially in young people who do not see any future in the country. Uh, so th this gives a general idea of so, the pitiful situation. I, I remember hearing that uh, there hasn't been an economic downturn like what's happening in Lebanon in like over 150 years. Is that it's like that severe. It's not just like a recession here. It's a collapse. That is correct. That's something reported by the World Bank, actually. Uh, yes, uh, World Bank. That's the source of it. And so you can imagine that we're coming up, uh, coming out uh, from the 19th century, mid 19th century situations. Uh, it is uh, awful. It is unimaginable. I think there's no way that someone like us living uh, on uh, on this soil in America or in Europe currently can imagine the situation in Lebanon. Uh, I would like to add here, open a parenthesis as to what we did. I mean, this situation is uh, has been morphing, has been uh, changing over time, but only in one direction. Last year, when the explosion happened at the um, the port in, in Beirut, the MA was able within 30 days, and, and that, of course, the credit goes to all MA supporters and, and all MA members and, and the general public in general who, who came to the uh, rescue and contributed uh, to the funds that we were raising. Uh, within a short period of time, we raised enough money to restore every single entity, every single uh, building uh, or premises uh, in our institutions, uh, in our schools, educational institutions, at Aigazian University, uh, in our um, union headquarters, uh, the uh, old age home and other, all Armenian evangelical institutions, 100% were, were restored back to, not only were they were restored back to the, uh, the original uh, um, uh, state, but, but even better, we improved on this, on the premises and uh, on the uh, physical state of all these buildings. And I had the, the opportunity and chance visiting them that certainly gave optimism to our uh, people, uh, to our leadership, and uh, uh, definitely part of the, uh, those who are involved in running this, those institutions. Uh, and they are hopeful, they were hopeful that they will open their doors in 2021 uh, in this new and, and improved state. Uh, but the socioeconomic conditions are, are not helping very much. Uh, the point I was trying to make is that uh, we have reached out uh, to Lebanon and continue on reaching out to the people, both in terms of uh, assisting their educational budget, uh, social uh, um, activity and services budgets, uh, and in emergency budgets have been established in AMA's budget that uh, you are one of those who approved in July. Uh, and uh, 
together with this material help that, that we've been um, planning and, and restoring and transmitting uh, is of course the love of Christ, the love of uh, reflecting the love of Christ and injecting hope in people that they're not alone, that they are uh, kin, that they are family, that they are Christians who are on the other side of the world or wherever they are, are ready to assist and help sustain and support our people there. I saw this in Beirut, I saw this in Aleppo, uh, and uh, we continue uh, on, on that path, uh, not only without interruption, uh, but uh, more additional resolve and with uh, fervent, uh, uh, passionate uh, um, feelings and plans, we continue on with that. Uh, so I think I not only described Lebanon at the time I was there, but um, unfortunately, I also tried to describe the, the situation that it is currently in. Uh, what are some of the ways, I know we have, we've already provided support to rebuild since the explosion, but what are some other initiatives people could use to help the, those in Lebanon right now who may be listening? Uh, we have around, at least last year uh, that I got the count, we have four education institutions in Lebanon. Four of them are, uh, three of them are high school and one of them is uh, middle school, uh, three of them are in Beirut and one of them is in, uh, is in Anjar. Uh, we have uh, enrollment of around uh, uh, a little under 1,000 in these schools. And one of the ways that uh, we invite people to support education in Lebanon is to sponsor a child, sponsor a school, uh, our school children, sponsor our students there. The, the, these parents were active members of the community for a long time. They worked, they produced, uh, and they contributed uh, a tuition for their children, uh, a reality that is not possible today. These people do not have the means and the resources to feed their families today. So one of the ways, of course, is to sponsor children or to contribute to the educational funding of Armenian evangelical educations in, in Lebanon. Uh, the other uh, way of supporting, of course, is our social services. Uh, the services that both in Syria and Lebanon, our uh, social service centers offer has grown so widely because of the need uh, <clears throat> that uh, you know, is, is medical, is educational, uh, is uh, spiritual, uh, is psychological, uh, is uh, uh, physical. Uh, it's so vast. Uh, and uh, our centers, both in Syria and Lebanon, uh, are involved in all type of these services nowadays. So, of course, contributions to the social services emergency funds will definitely help our centers to be able to feed people, supply medical help and medical needs, whether it's medicine or, or assistance with financial aid for surgical needs. The, the needs are, are vast uh, and, and um, many and, and so deep. So in all these areas, in all these budget items, uh, we need certainly funding uh, to make them come true uh, and to be able to continue this assistance over there. Uh, I should also mention that AMAs programs and services in the Near East are not the result of these emergencies, are not a reaction or a response to emergencies. The AMA has an ongoing budget of several millions of dollars 
that continuously sustains these communities in Syria and Lebanon for the past 102 years. There came a time when there were um, robust, of course, uh, economies, robust community communities over there, well-to-do uh, individuals and businesses who helped the, the needs of the community that I've been talking about. But as from the 1970s, uh, ongoing to the 80s, 90s with the civil war in Lebanon and ongoing uh, turmoil in the Near East. These communities, of course, many of the um, many of the individuals making up the community left this area, uh, region, and the need started to increase again, taking us back to closer to the 1920s, 30s, and and 40s. So our, our regular budget sustaining and supporting our communities has been increasing on a regular basis. What brought these emergencies, uh, emergency funding, emergency budgets, of course, is on one uh, part, the, the war in Syria in the past 10 years, and the last two years, the situation in Lebanon. And so our budget has ballooned, has grown, and all these needs are continuous in these areas. Yeah, and it's great dude, that we were already established before the crisis has emerged so we could be ready to help immediately and then increase it. So yeah, it's been quite amazing to the years of the Armenian diaspora with the, the situation in Lebanon, the civil war in Syria, and then going back to before with the Lebanese civil war, um, the situation in Armenia. It's, there's this famous quote by um, uh, uh, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. His mom said to him, uh, focus on the people who are doing help. Don't focus on the negative, just focus on helping. Focus on the helpers. And I think it's important for us to know that uh, we need to be focusing on helping instead of entering into cynicisms and doubt, but what can we do? What, what, what can we do to help other people? Um, many of our listeners are from the Middle East. I'm, I'm, my, my parents are from the Middle East. My wife is, was born in Lebanon. They came during the Civil War. Um, there's, there's, there's this connection to these places. It's not just distant lands. These are historic lands of, of the Armenian communities uh, being there uh, post post-genocide. I mean, these countries welcomed us when we were being slaughtered and we've been there uh, and we want them to flourish and we're going to do everything we can. And it's great that AMA exists and there's opportunities for us to, to help tangibly, not just by nice wishes, but with, with actual support. Uh, you guys can make a difference, people can make a difference. And it's great to know that we have these institutions in place to make a difference. Um, every little bit makes a difference. Zavan, as we're wrapping up, any final thoughts or things you'd like to, to share? Um. Yeah, uh, let me share uh, the notion, uh, the question that probably is on the mind of many uh, everywhere, whether they are in, uh, uh, in Syria and Lebanon, in the Near East today. And, and let's bear in mind that when we talk about the Near East, this situation is not only unique to Syria and Lebanon, where, of course, things are uh, harsher, tougher, but it's true in, in uh, Egypt, it's true in Iraq, it's true in Turkey, it's true in uh, um, Iran, and, and, and wherever our communities are in that general region, it's true for them as well. But of course, the uh, concentration in the larger communities are in Syria and Lebanon. There is this notion in the mind of everyone whether these communities should stay uh, or uh, should uh, uh, move let's say, uh, somewhere. And uh, I'd like to share my views uh, in, in that respect, um, respecting um, certainly everybody's uh, opinion uh, in that manner. Now, during the Syrian war, uh, Armenians as such, whether it was the Armenian government or the diaspora, was in no way organized to assist these people. I mean, we came together haphazardly at the beginning and, and followed up the news. We weren't expecting what was going on there. And uh, 
uh, we did whatever we we did a fair let's say um, work and job and in assisting those uh, who remained there but let us remember that 75% of the community in Aleppo uh, became refugees and they became refugees without uh, uh, without an address uh, they didn't know where to go they didn't know how to go uh, they moved out and uh, we weren't ready as a community as as a nation and diaspora we weren't ready to give them some direction so one of the things that the ama did at the time is we established uh, what was called as serial lifeline uh, and what we did is we didn't pressure anyone and we didn't ask anyone but whenever we felt that there were individuals families who desired to move but did not have the ability to move through this serial lifeline um, program uh, we facilitated and paid for their move from wherever they were up to armenia to zvartnots airport not only to the airport, we welcomed them there. Uh, we provided them temporary housing. We provided them rent subsidy. We tried to help them find a job, be recruited, and so on. So this is what we believe in in the current situation as well. We do not advocate or we do not call uh, for, a, uh, for an exodus uh, from, from the countries. Uh, individuals and families need to make their own decisions in that sense. But those who want to move, those who want to change their uh, life and, and start a new life, we will give them that ability and that possibility through the Lifeline program and move them. But we have only one address to go. The only address that they're welcome to go and we're able to take them is Armenia, is the homeland. Uh, we continue on doing that. And in that way, we solve, we answer the question to ourselves, saying that those who want to move, we will facilitate their move. Those who want to stay, we will facilitate their stay by supporting and sustaining their stay. Now, one more thing, if you allow me. Of course. I, I want to focus on is, uh, Haigazian University. When we talk about our education institutions in the Middle East, uh, I, I mentioned the four high schools, but I didn't mention the Haigazian University, which enters its 67th academic year this year. Haigazian University is the only high um, uh, uh, level uh, high education uh, in, in the diaspora, uh, Armenian owned and Armenian operated. Uh, that's the only one outside uh, the borders of, of Armenia. Uh, for over the 67 years, thousands of, of Armenian youth have graduated from the uh, from Igazian University and have entered the uh, workforce and have served their communities wherever they are all over the world. And uh, they've been um, pioneers and leaders in their communities. There are still this year around 600 students at Haigazian University. 600 students who are unable to pay their tuitions, whose parents are unable to, to, to sustain them and to uh, pay for their education. These students need help, need assistance. The AMA does a great job, of course, uh, having uh, an, an endowment fund that uh, benefits uh, scholarships in at Haigazian University uh, and and um, we continuously uh, are of course helping the university support and sustain its students but our abilities and our resources are not adequate and are not enough and that's again a sphere that we need assistance and help from good-hearted people good Samaritans people who have received that kind of aid in their lifetime at schools, people who, uh, again, um, have, have seen the love of God in their lives and the blessings of, of, of God and Christ in their lives and now are ready to help others as well. 
uh, this is a call, this is a plea to them to support scholarships at Haigazan University uh, by again uh, making contributions through the AMA, all tax deductible contributions and donations that will go and, and educate a youth, a young man over there who will um, graduate and, and go up, build himself, build a family to himself, and again, turn around and support and sustain his kin and his brothers in humanity. Thank you so much, Zavin. Again, if you feel nudged listening to one of these initiatives, take action. Just any little bit makes a difference. Uh, the, uh, it's amazing that, like, we forget the fact that as we're talking about all these crises, we like forget about that. This is happening during the pandemic of COVID as well, to just add more salt to the the, the dangers. But uh, there's ways to help. Instead of being down, get up and give uh, or support in various ways. Serve. Uh, there's many ways we could help. Um, especially with the technology we have, you can make a big impact with a little contribution. Um, and that's, I advise everyone. I, I love the book of James where it talks about pure religion is taking care of widows and orphans and their need and to be unpolluted by this world. There's something pure about just giving uh, and supporting a family in Artsakh, whether it's through the Empower and Artsakh Family Initiative or helping a young child get their education. Uh, it makes a big difference uh, in the life of people, people you may not meet, but it's coming from the pure motive of just giving for the sake of giving without expecting anything in return. So if you're interested to learn more about the AMA, I love the AMA. I'm a board member. Uh, AMA has helped me throughout my education as well. And um, it's a real privilege to have you, Zavin, and, and know the good work you're doing uh, during this crazy year for the Armenian community worldwide. And it's great that you're uh, leading this and doing a wonderful job, um, empowering, encouraging, and going to the grounds themselves uh, to, to show the love of Christ to them. Um, so thank you, Zavin. And it's great, great having you on this program. Thank you, Ike. Thank you for facilitating this talk. Uh, and, and I'm sure that uh, we've reached uh, to listening ears uh, and, and that uh, God has been good and been faithful with the MAA. Uh, and the, certainly the more uh, resources we have, uh, the wider our services and programs uh, will be. Absolutely. Thank you for all you. listening. Uh, like, subscribe, uh, and comment. It helps promote the podcast on the various platforms. If you have any questions, feel free to comment below. And thank you for listening. God bless you. And remember to stay caffeinated, my friend. Take care. God bless you, hi. Thank you. Oh.